Hey, dear listener, do you enjoy listening to us ramble incoherently about Canadian politics and history? Boy, do we have a special fucking treat for you. We've got our first ever official live show at a bar. It's at Two Crows Brewing on uh, Brunswick Street in Halifax on Sunday, May the 26th at 8 p.m. And uh, if you go to CanadianPoliticsIsBoring.com, if you look at the banner at the top, it will take you to the tickets so that you can uh, book a ticket and come and spend some quality time. It is going to be a very intimate affair. There are like only about 50 tickets available. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to drink a lot. We're going to quiz. Reese is going to quiz me at the end, but he's also going to quiz the audience and see if they know more than I do. And any alcohol you buy, Reese and I, we promise to drink it no matter how much it is. If you want to hold our hair while we barf in the plants outside of the bar, we'll do that for you. So go to CanadianPoliticsIsBoring.com, click the banner at the top, and on Sunday, May the 26th at Two Crows Brewing on Brunswick Street, we will see you there. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You know, it's just something so special about being able to see the film on the big screen and, and to you know be, be surrounded by friends, family, uh, you know, the public and having a, a chance to really share the story and seeing it up on screen. Because I think it's the type of story that, you know, I often tell people about this film, like it's going to feel like a warm hug. Hello and welcome to the 2023 Atlantic International Film Festival podcast. On this episode, we will explore a film that the creators describe as a warm hug. Mr. Dress Up, The Magic of Make-Believe is a Canadian Amazon original documentary based on the life and career of legendary Canadian children's entertainer Ernie Coombs, or as he's more commonly known by millions of fans, Mr. Dress Up. The documentary celebrates the origins and history of one of Canada's most beloved CBC children's shows, Mr. Dress Up which enriched the lives of five generations of Canadians. I was joined by producer Mark Bishop. Mr. Dressup is obviously such a cultural icon in Canada. Where did your vision come from to try and tackle telling the story of Mr. Dressup? Well, for me, the story of Mr. Dressup is a really personal connection. I was actually uh, one of the lucky ones that was able to meet Mr. Dressup when I was five years old. Yeah, I grew up in just outside of St. John, New Brunswick, a town called Rossay. And Mr. Dressup came to our town because that was a big thing that uh, he did. And, and Ernie really believed in about, you know, using the opportunity to travel across the country and perform. He loved performing, as we found out later. But uh, yeah, he would come to, you know, every town. And put on a show. And for me, that was a moment, five years old, seeing him perform at St. John High School, uh, and then uh, having a chance to go meet him afterwards at Wolco, where he was signing records. 
And in fact, I still have the record hanging in my office that he signed when I was five years old. Uh, and that was the moment that my mom tells the story that you can tell I talk a lot, that I talked the entire way home of like, well, how is this happening? How is he doing a show today? Who's on the air? What are they playing? How could this be happening? Because he's here and, and just blah, 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 blah. Right. And that was a, the light bulb moment for me that went off of the oh, people work in TV. There's an industry. Maybe I should get into television. So for me, it was a real eye opener and really, you know, inspired me to the industry. And then I obviously moved to Toronto, ended up going to Ryerson, which is now TMU to get a degree in television. When I was a student, I met Ernie. Uh, he came to our class to speak. And I had a chance to tell him that story, which was great and really, really uh, rewarding. And I always just thought like he has such a great story um, that should be told, right? And just obviously he's so beloved by, you know, four or five generations of, of, of kids who grew up and just always thought, you know, there should be a way to tell this story. So this has been one of those passion projects that's been burning for a very long time of wanting to be able to tell. For me, it goes back a long time. And, you know, and it was one of those fortuitous moments that thanks to social media, I happened to be on Facebook one day a few years ago, and I saw these clips popping up and they were interviews, um, you know, with people talking about their love and Mr. Dressups, of course, I'm liking it and sharing it. And then I realized that the this filmmaker in London, Ontario named Rob McCallum uh, had gone and actually met Ernie's kids and, you know, started reaching out. And I, I just called him up and I said, I don't know who you are, but we should work together and let's make this film. That's amazing. With the multi-generational kind of impact he had, did you feel pressure, I guess, to kind of tell this story right? Absolutely. Uh, there's so much pressure. And it uh, and it's interesting, right? Because some people say, oh, is there dirt? Is there scandal? And I said, well, luckily, no. <laughs> um, but it's also that's not the story we wanted to tell. But, you know, there's lots of people that are hunting and trying to find, you know, who did bad things a long time ago. Uh, thank goodness Ernie didn't. I mean, he was just a genuinely nice man who just believed in the goodness in the world and kindness and all of those values that we talk about today. And it was just so who he was. So I, th I think there was that in terms of the story we were telling and just really being able to, you know, tell the story properly, like from as many different angles and to hear a lot of different voices. Uh, and it's challenging. It's always challenging telling documentaries, obviously, about someone who's no longer with us. So, you know, we can't ask him questions. And you have to ask a lot of other people questions. And people are getting older, and they're harder to get access to. Some are no longer with us. I mean, we have people in the film that we interviewed a couple of years ago who are no longer with us. So, you know, it is a moment in time where you have to try and capture as much content as possible hear the voices, uh, and then both the people that knew him and worked with him, and as well as those who really, you know, shared that that impact. And, you know, that's what's been really exciting is that, you know, we've got celebrities, we've got, you know, uh, you know, everyday people, we've got people that were on the show, worked on the show, um, and just really felt that impact. And, I, you know, so that was a real, um, you know, journey to go out and find all of those stories. One of the things you did really well in the film was tie a multitude of interviews together like you're saying um you know there's a lot of different voices there's like a who's who of canadian talent who are influenced <laughs> by uh, ernie so so did you find that it was easy to get people to talk about him and kind of become emotional um regardless of whether they were a lister or just a viewer who appreciated him <laughs> Yeah, it was it was actually really exciting. And you had to go on a little bit of a journey to find some of these people and hear certain things like, um, you know, you've seen the film, there's a clip with Michael J. Fox. Um, and of course, Michael J. Fox, Canadian, grew up in Canada. And, you know, we found a clip when when he received his Order of Canada award and his acceptance speech, he thanked Mr. Dressup. 
right? Because for him, that was such a uh, a moment in time of, uh, again, much like my story talking about an inspiration, you know, for uh, Michael J. Fox, it was really about, you know, seeing someone on screen who could put on funny hats and do funny things and like really play with his body on screen to get people to laugh. It was like that really inspired him. So hearing that story, you know, that, that we happen to find, then going and, and connecting with him and then absolutely was happy to participate there, you know, timing issues and health issues and all kinds of other things to actually connect with him. But it was wonderful to have him on camera and telling his story of really how he was inspired as one example. So, you know, for us, it was about finding and navigating that path and, and you know, hearing those voices and and seeing. We also, you know, it was interesting when we did a press release that we were making the film and then that was a great tool to have certain people come out of the woodwork who had been on the show and perhaps had, you know, lost touch with the industry, left the industry, you know, were quite a bit older. And so we had people that had been on the show who wanted to share their stories. And so we were able to, you know, find some of those people that, you know, wouldn't have been on our radar previously, but they contacted us and reached out to us because they wanted to participate. Um, and there was just so much love and you just you never know the bare naked ladies are in the film and uh you know say, you know they're just you know they're just such great guys and telling the story and uh you know just one quick anecdote but like i just i love the story they're telling and you know again we wanted to interview them because obviously you know they're they're well known they grew up watching mr dress up and they had this incredible story of one time you know in, in their careers they were performing at a show uh with ernie and they said it was just so exciting because of course the childhood icon and so ernie was on just before them i think and then after they were all backstage and they were having a beer, which, of course, for them was like, we're having a beer with Mr. Dress Up. This is about the coolest thing you could ever do. Uh, and so they were just, uh, you know, sitting backstage and, and having a beer. And, uh, and it was a bottle of beer, uh, which is important. And uh, you take the bottle caps off and they were on the table. And, uh, you know, Ed went to throw them out and Ernie grabbed them, put them in his pocket. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm saving those for crafts. <laughs> Right. And that was just who he was. Right. It's just like that was that was just <laughs> to me, that's such a story of, you know, really, you know, what was important to him about, you know, you you collect things, you, you know, share things you want to make, you know, crafts accessible that anybody could do it. Uh, and just such a wonderful, warm story and good reminder of what he was really all about. It's such a great story. An amazing act. <laughs> <Just> so, <laughs> um, and I guess the other thing as well is you had thousands and thousands of hours of shows to select clips from and outtakes and everything else. What kind of a task was that to find those bits that you wanted to kind of support the storytelling and the things people were discussing in their interviews? Yeah, it's interesting. It's a, you know, it's a treasure trove of, you know, over 4,000 episodes of the series. But I think the thing that everyone has to always remember, because people have contacted us, oh, can you find the episode that I was on in 1982? And it's like, well, first of all, <laughs> uh, there's no database, there's no list. I mean, it's a different world. I mean, the, the way we make content now, of course, all of this would be entered into a system, it would be meta tagged, and you know, you could easily go and search it and find it. Like in many cases, we're talking about you know, most of it being digitized, some of it still being on tape, a lot of episodes lost. And so we had to find episodes that had been recorded because you got to remember at that time period, you know, tape uh, was was relatively new and very, very expensive. So what was happening a lot of times is you would make a show, you'd record it, you'd play it back, and then you'd tape over it, right? And so there were a lot of episodes of uh, all kinds of shows during that time period that were lost, because nobody ever thought that people would watch content again, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now. So, you know, we, there were episodes that were missing. Um, luckily, there were, you know, some people on the crew and others who had grabbed copies of them. So we've, you know, we found all kinds of content in other places. Uh, the CBC was really wonderful, though. I was 
we'll say in terms of then they maintain a great archives department um they've got you know both all you know amazing still photos that were just in, like behind the scenes still photos that we'd never seen before that were beautiful and they, they have a great system for tracking all of their archives um you know especially on the still photo side and then on the video side just you know again helping us figure that out but again you could find the episode and it's like well I don't know who's that person on screen okay we got to figure out who that person is <laughs> you know you know were the rights cleared for that okay <laughs> you know there was one they were singing a Beatles song it's like I don't think those rights were ever cleared so we're not going to use that <laughs> clip in our film so it was a different time right so yes it was abs- it was amazing and incredible to have those archives and you could find a clip that illustrates any point right you've got Eric McCormick talking about the sound of you know when he was cutting and making a dragon costume and it's like oh we can find that clip right or you know there are a number of people talked about a clip that I don't remember because it was before my time, but where, you know, uh, Mr. Dressup had made soup for Casey mm. and Casey didn't want to eat the soup, even though he had to go and make the soup. And they got a little angry with Casey because, you know, he'd gone and got the soup from Susan down the hall. And, and anyway, it, uh, and to hear people like even even it, in Michael J. Fox's interview, he remembers that episode. Right. And it, again, any parent can relate to it. Right. Your kid wants something and they complain about it, complain about it. Finally, you go and you make it and everything else. And they're like, yeah, I'm not hungry. Right. So it's just like it was one of those episodes that was like, well, we got to find it. And that was one of the black and white episodes from the early days. So it's like, you know, digging in the archives, trying to find this episode. And we did. Again, thank goodness for the team at CBC that that helped us navigate those waters. And we had a great research team on the film, you know, an archives team, a clearance team to go through and, and find all of these old episodes and then, you know, find the clips that were appropriate. But yeah, there was a lot of content. <laughs> yeah, I felt like that soup scene in particular, it was a moment where a lot of people remembered it because they were like, hey, he's talking to a child to about their feelings and yeah. validating how each other and i felt like you know when you had that clip you had so many people seem to have remembered it michael michael j fox obviously but yeah um it was great that like people learned life lessons from those moments and then you could just go oh, we'll just pull it out the archives exactly <laughs> <laughs> and it's great i mean the beauty of the film we make it look like that easy of course we just find it then we insert the clip and it's <laughs> it's easy but it's uh there's a whole team of people digging and finding those clips and i think things like that are important because it does kind of rem- like you always have different memories of what you recall obviously from shows and what you actually took away but you realize you know there was a lot of great life lessons that you know the show didn't set out with an educational mandate and you know say well we have to be kind and we have to say this three times an episode and we have to you know they didn't have any of those mandates they did it because they believed in it right and they really believed in the value of putting goodness in the world they that came from ernie that came from judith who was the puppeteer for casey and finnegan uh it came from just their their ethos of of you know what we should be doing and you know what how they wanted to project and how they wanted to give kids a safe place and all of those things so you know it's quite remarkable um all of those things that they thought about that just were embedded in in what they did and the stories that they told the other aspect that really jumped out to me was the fred rogers connection which i like i didn't grow up in canada so mr dress up and is very new to me and i learned a lot about it from the film obviously (laughs) but i knew of fred rogers because he's like an american icon but i had no idea that his kind of his birthplace was with the cbc in canada largely yeah and most people don't know that i mean and that's one of those interesting surprises in the film um you know people often say oh mr dress up he's like our mr rogers and and then when you tell people well actually they were best friends they came to canada together you know mr rogers actually started on the air in canada at the cbc who gave him his first chance to be on television and he and ernie came together were lifelong friends i mean uh, you know, Fred was the best man at Ernie's wedding. Like, it's just that they, they wrote letters back and forth. Like, it's really remarkable up until the, the, you know, months before they died. Like, they just really had a connection, those two. And they believed in the same values, right? All of those ideas of, 
again, looking directly into the camera, treating kids with respect, uh, you know, kindness being at the core of what you do, empathy, like all of those values they shared, right? And so it's really remarkable the connection that they had and the fact that they came to Canada. I mean, it's an interesting moment in time when you think about like the role the CBC played of really being, I mean, they had the largest de- kids development department of any broadcaster in the world. They invested in kids content. They had this incredible genius running the kids department who basically went and poached all of these, um, you know, individuals who were doing interesting things. A lot of them at, at, uh, PBS affiliate stations, even the Friendly Giant came to Canada that way as well, too, and said, come to Canada and let's make this great, amazing place at the CBC where we can incubate and develop really cool kid shows and do things that other people aren't doing. Uh, And that's what happened. And he just he invested in people. He believed in them. And really, you know, nurtured talent, right? And so hearing, you know, that that Fred Rogers story, it's pretty special, right? In terms of what, when you think about what the, what those men had and what they were, uh, you know, able to do together and the opportunities that, that they were given by the CBC. It's interesting, they kind of created a whole generation of, like you're saying, friendly, warm, kind child programming across a whole continent, pretty much, which is, you know... <laughs> A, oh. a great partnership. They both kind of divvied up the territories and kind of uh, did their own thing. absolutely. <laughs> and it just happened so organically, right? And it's interesting, right? And like, and it just it continues. Like, I look at you know what the Fred Rogers Company you know has evolved into, and you know they they have Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, which is obviously Daniel Tiger, which is a character from you know Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And Daniel Tiger was actually created when Fred was here at CBC. So to me, it's an incredible full circle story, right? Where mm. you know those characters, the sets, all of that was actually created when. He was at CBC. He left, you know, to go back to to the U.S. to, you know, uh, create that show. Um, but it's incredible the legacy that continues from just being in Canada uh, by, you know, being able to bring together a whole bunch of really great talent to give the tools uh, to invest as required and just focus on making great content for kids. One of the things you highlighted really well as well was the fact that you look back at old programs and they can be immensely problematic due to attitudes at the time. And this show is not burdened with any of that, really. No. In fact, you you know have a few voices talking about Casey and the kind of non-gender of Casey was so far ahead of its time. Yeah. People probably didn't comprehend any of it, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that Casey could speak to any child, I guess. Exactly. And I think that, again, that came from the values of the show that they had that, you know, again, to me, what's so interesting is we spend a lot of time now worrying about a mandate. And, and obviously, we need to have rules. And I, we understand that. But back in the, those days, it wasn't about that. It was really creator led, where the values were really came from the creator. And, you know, you had to hope that they had had, had good values. And this show did, like it really just right at its core. Um, you know, and I look at both Ernie and Judith Lawrence, you know, and together the the magic that they had and the values that they had, they were ahead of its time, right? Like, I mean, just even that idea, I mean, Judith just really believed and instilled this idea you know, that, um, you know, especially on gender parity, you know, there was no, no, she made sure it wasn't a, you know, men do this and women do that. Um, and, and she quickly, you know, um, made sure in a very natural way that you try to avoid some of those gender stereotypes, which are so easy to fall into. Um, you know, if you're not careful in writing and, and in kids shows, some of the people just make assumptions, but you know, really worked with that and really worked with the, the writers and found ways so that it felt really, it really was was natural. So it was like that on screen, you know, behind the scenes, it was the same way. I mean, Ernie advocated for equal pay 
for for Judith because he believed that men and women should make the same. I mean, again, this was you know late sixties and seventies. Like talk about ahead of its time. But again, he didn't do it because it was a mandate. He did it because he believed in it and he believed that was fair, right? And so mm. I think it would happen behind the scenes. It happened in front of the camera. I mean, there was diversity in the writing room because uh, again, he believed you should hear different voices. Like again, th- just all of that ethos that was built in in how the show was constructed uh, and in what you saw on screen, uh, and it was genuine, right? Like that's really what they wanted to convey and that 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 message of kindness that message of creativity of inspiration that really trying to to, you know connect with every kid that you can do anything if you put your mind to it like it's really empowering but they did it without sometimes kid shows can be very pedantic or they can be you know too preachy or looking down and telling the kid what they should do and you know we all know that doesn't work um but when you connect with them on a kid level um and meet them where they are and, you know, inspire them and, you know, instill those that the values of, of confidence and creativity, you know, you, you're setting kids up for success in the future, right? And I think that's what the show really did. Also, I guess there was no backlash to those messages or how it was conveyed at a time when attitudes were arguably more entrenched, I guess, and systematically entrenched. Yeah. So it's, it's a testament to the kind of gentle kindness that was kind of built into that show. Well said. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't about, uh, you know, trying to preach a message. It was trying to mm-hmm. showcase, you know, inclusivity. And it was trying to showcase the idea that, you know, especially in the case of Casey, it didn't matter if you were a boy or a girl, however you saw Casey, that was your connection. If you saw Casey as a boy, um, as I did, because I was, you know, my boy, I was growing up as a boy. I was like, that's how I relate. I thought Casey was a boy, right? Um, and then I know my wife saw Casey as a girl, right? That's just, and that's, you know, that's the thing, right? And that's kind of the, the beauty of it, you know, and Judith, and that was part of her thinking, um, you know, early on in creating Casey is that she really wanted to have a puppet that all kids could connect to, right? And that was, you know, uh, slightly mischievous, um, you know, that had that superpower of being able to, you know, obviously with the pet dog being able to hear because Finnegan didn't speak, she could, or he could, you know, hear and, and uh, connect with Finnegan and hear and interpret what Finnegan was saying. Um, and was just, you know, again, a great character to be able to, you know, play in the treehouse, to come inside, to to hang out with Mr. Dress Up. Um, and Casey was, again, like kind of like as a kid, your eyes and ears of, you know, you you related to Casey, you aspired to be Casey. Wouldn't that be amazing to hang out all day in a treehouse and play with Mr. Dress Up? Like, you know, there was a real connection that was, I think, for the child to be able to see through Casey's eyes, the wonder of the series, um, I think was a really special connection that, you know, it still resonates with people today. One of the most powerful moments of the film for me was the scene where he's singing the song after he tragically has lost his wife and is coming back to the studio. And by totally by accident, they pick a song that is immensely irrelevant to him in that moment in his life. And you can kind of see this just look in his eye. Uh, it's still incredibly sad, but also incredibly warm and full of love. I, I can't imagine what it, how it must have felt finding those pieces and put them together in the edit suite and then trying to, you must have agonized over how do we put this together? For a long time. And it was, it's a beautiful moment because it's with he and Fred Penner. It was interesting because Fred Penner had a show, um, which, you know, sat right next to Mr. Dress Up on the schedule. So they were always, um, you know, friendly with each other. They knew each other. They both did appearances on each other's show um, and kind of cross, cross promoted each other. Um, And Fred, again, also a, a, you know, a tour across 
the country. He was pretty well known. And so that that episode had been planned for quite a while. Um, they were going to do this crossover episode on Fred's show that Ernie was going to come on. They were going to do some some crafts and moments, and then they were going to sing this song. So all of that had been planned months in advance. Right. And then, um, yeah, as you point out, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a really sad moment. I remember the day, actually, um, as a kid when when Ernie's wife tragically died uh, in, in Toronto. And, you know, I think, you know, again, I, it's one of those things where you would imagine most people would say, okay, we're just going to take a step back as Fred had said, you know, called Ernie right away and said, I'm sorry, let's just put this on pause. We'll do it again sometime in the future. And Ernie said, well, no, I mean, I, I want to do this. You know, my wife and I had talked about it. This is really important to me. I want to do it. So hearing there's an example of like to, to tell that story, we needed that interview with Fred and Fred could connect with it. And hearing Fred now in hindsight, tell that story of how impactful it was for him. I mean, he said it was the most emotional episode he'd ever shot because it it, it hit the, you can watch, as you say, in that scene of, of Fred show, you can actually watch the moment where each of the men kind of realize that the words they're singing and how impactful they are. And he said, yeah, it was powerful. I mean, I wish we had some more behind the scenes of what that was like to film that episode. We didn't. We were able to find that moment, which was great, uh, and uh, be able to include that. But it was, it was, yeah, it's really, really a powerful scene. I think it's a testament to the professionalism, obviously, of both men to be able to to do that and and uh, continue and pull that off, you know, and to Ernie as well about how much he felt, you know, connected and committed to to kids. And, mm. and really wanted to go out there, really wanted to perform with Fred and really wanted to uh, do that. On a lighter note, one, <laughs> of the, one of the scenes that made me laugh was that his citizenship rap, which I It was very nice. 90s. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, it's too bad we didn't have more time because that goes on for a while and there's a, dan- a longer dance number and we, we had to condense it a little bit. But, you know, that's it, it, amazing. He was so proud of that. Like hearing his kids talk about it, like I think that was just such an incredible moment because, again, it goes to the fact that, like, again, most people didn't realize that Ernie was American. First of all, I mean, he'd been on the air on CBC for 30 years. Um, some people didn't realize he was American. It truly was a letter from a kid who'd written to him to, about a school project that kind of inspired him of like, you know, I should probably get my Canadian citizenship. And we're just telling in terms of how well he was kind of he connected with audiences. Uh, and then, you know, to go and do that performance. And I'm glad we found it because that one, our, our team had to really dig and find that that performance, which was from Canada Day <laughs> uh, in Ottawa. So it was great to to be able to include that. When uh, you kind of touched on to his retirement and the final episode, one of the things that you were able to do uh, was yeah, I felt like you'd built so much behind the scenes. You were able to really kind of explore and linger and, and uh, kind of really emotionally dive into how everyone felt on that day. Okay. Um, and to me, I kind of read it as you kind of captured like almost like a historical moment, <laughs> you know, that you could you could do a heritage minute on yes. his final episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was and it was neat because we found I mean, we found news footage from other networks, actually, which is always incredible covering that last episode. Uh, you know, we found the behind the scenes that they had shot that people had shot on the Day. We found just as many different perspectives. Uh, and again, that's what's always challenging when you're doing these, you know, historical uh, moments in time of figuring out, well, you can have talking heads, but how do you bring that to life, right? But then all the different tools of, you know, one of the performers who was there who kept a diary who could show us you know, they'd kept it from that day, you know, obviously with with photos, news footage, uh, the rehearsal footage, you know, that moment when Ernie addresses the camera in the rehearsal, my goodness, I, I tear up at that moment, because that's just so... You know, you're just watching him being so 
you know, appreciative of the crew and everybody who had, who had uh, taken him to this point. Um, so finding all of that and kind of putting that together. And as you say, telling that moment in time, um, and it's beautiful. I mean, he's going out on his own terms. He's, he's making that call to end, end the show. Um, and while everyone is, you know, celebratory, it was obviously an incredibly sad moment because, you know, it's a sad moment when you end any show because you realize that, you know, it, everyone's moving on. You're not going to be together the same way. And, and, you know, there's an end of an era. But, I mean, that truly was an end of an era. I mean, 4,000 episodes, you know, you just don't, uh, you don't see that happen. And so, you know, I think for such a journey for so many people, some of whom who had been there since day one, uh, I think there was a real, um, you know, sense of loss that it was never going to be the same as it had been. And one of the bare naked ladies, um, sorry, I don't know all their names, <laughs> <laughs> describes Ernie as untarnished, you know, yeah. looking back historically. And I can't remember, I feel like we live in an age where everyone's tarnished to a certain <laughs> degree. Um, what lesson did you learn from, like, you obviously had a personal connection to this and you've gone deeper than most people ever would have from this filmmaking process. But what lesson have you taken like moving forward in life or in, in filmmaking from, from uh, this production? Oh, I think that's a great question. Um, I mean, it was Ed from the Bare Naked Ladies who, who shared that story. Right. And I think it's something that, you know, we all think about in that way of like, okay, you meet your childhood hero. Um, are they going to be what, you know, do they live up to those expectations? Um, everyone's human, right? And so you think, oh, okay, I'm going to meet. And and I think what's amazing about Ernie, we heard this time and time again, and I, I can say it myself as well. Like he was the same person as his family said that. And so having a chance to meet him, um, you know, that's, that's who he was, right? And so I think it's a good reminder for all of us. Um, I mean, everybody has a bad day you know, let's be, we're all human. Um, but just to be your authentic self, right. And just being, um, you know, what you say, um, is what you do. Um, and it doesn't matter if the cameras are on, doesn't matter if we're recording or doesn't matter if we're hanging out and having a beer, like being a good person, right. It's just kind of simple, right. But people forget that. Um, and I think it's just, you know, treating everyone with kindness and respect again, simple lessons, right? But I think they're so critical. And I think it's, you know, it's foundational, you learn them in childhood, you carry that throughout your life. But I think it's just one of those things that sometimes you need to be reminded of, right? That it's, it really is about, you know, seeing the good and being the good in the world and putting it out there. That's what he did. Mm. Oh, amazing. Are you excited for your screening at the festival in September? Absolutely. I can't wait. It, uh, <laughs> no, I'm looking forward. It's been a couple of years, uh, again, since I've been to the Atlantic Film Festival and really looking forward to it. It's great to be obviously back in the Maritimes as a proud New Brunswicker. Um, I'm looking forward to, to to being back for it. And, you know, it's something so special about being able to see the film on the big screen, um, you know, because I think it's just and, and to you know, be, be surrounded by, you know, friends, family, uh, you know, the public and having a, a chance to really share the story and seeing it up on screen, because I think it's the type of story that, you know, I often tell people about this film, like it's going to feel like a warm hug. Um, and, you know, for me, what I love, too, and it's funny because I was just in St. John, New Brunswick last weekend right by St. John High. It's a, for me, it's coming back to my roots, right? Because it's where I started. It's where I, I obviously grew up. It's where East Coast is where I met Ernie uh, the very first time that set me on this, this inspiration. So that's another reason why I'm so delighted to be bringing the film, uh, you know, back back to the Maritimes to be able to actually showcase it uh, in Halifax and be able to share it with um, lots of people, including other fellow Maritimers, uh, and really have this great, great moment of celebration of 
uh, you know, really, you know, in enjoying the story and sharing it um, with so many people in September. I can't wait. And if people aren't like lucky enough to join you and, and attend that kind of screening uh, in, in person, um, it's going to be on Amazon Prime Video afterwards, I believe. It is, yes. With uh, The date has not been announced. It'll be some point later this fall. So the date will be announced um, soon. Um, I'm not exactly sure when it will be announced, but it will be, it will be on Amazon Prime Video uh, later this fall. Um, and then uh, next year at a certain point as well, it'll be on CBC. Uh, they're our partner as well in the project. So anyone in Canada can enjoy it anyway. Exactly. exactly. Anyone in Canada <laughs> and around the world. I mean, what's great about Prime Video, it's going to be released globally uh, all around the world, um, you know, being dubbed in multiple languages, you know, the story shared with the world. Because, yes, it is a say it's a Canada story. It's a North American story. Um, but I think um, more than ever, the story of, of kindness and, and caring and creativity and empathy, you know, and building bridges and, and you know, just being a good person. It's kind of a lesson that we can all get reminded of, and it's pretty universal to be able to share with people all around the world. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time and sharing extra insight on on your film. I really enjoyed it and learned so much uh, as an immigrant. You know, I, I learned so much about a part of Canada that I knew nothing about before. So. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for your kind words, and I really, really appreciate it and uh, really enjoyed the conversation today. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the 2023 Atlantic International Film Festival podcast. Don't forget that this guest and many more will be showcasing the best of international cinema across Halifax from September 14th to the 21st. You can find out more about the events and book tickets by visiting AtlanticFilmFestival.ca. I've been Reese Waters. Now go watch a movie. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, dear listener, do you enjoy listening to us ramble incoherently about Canadian politics and history? Boy, do we have a special fucking treat for you. We've got our first ever official live show at a bar. It's at Two Crows Brewing on uh, Brunswick Street in Halifax on Sunday, May the 26th at 8 p.m. And uh, if you go to CanadianPoliticsIsBoring.com, if you look at the banner at the top, it will take you to the tickets so that you can uh, book a ticket and come and spend some quality time. It is going to be a very intimate affair. There are like only about 50 tickets available. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to drink a lot. We're going to quiz. Reese is going to quiz me at the end, but he's also going to quiz the audience and see if they know more than I do. And any alcohol you buy, Reese and I, we promise to drink it no matter how much it is. 
If you want to hold our hair while we barf in the plants outside of the bar, we'll do that for you. So go to CanadianPoliticsIsBoring.com, click the banner at the top, and on Sunday, May the 26th at Two Crows Brewing on Brunswick Street, we will see you there.